Now, more than ever, the great people of Tennessee are frustrated with the current direction we're headed as a state and as a country. We, the people, need to take a stand together, not simply as individuals, but as a force of nature in order to protect individual liberty. On this show, you'll hear from three voices who lead an organization called Tennessee Stands. Myself, John Fender, the Director of Communications, Gary Humble, the Executive Director, and Kevin Kukaji, the Chairman of the Board. We'll sit down with politicians, business leaders, community organizers, and citizens just like yourself to discuss the ideas, action points, and strategies needed to boldly take a stand and assert the unalienable rights given to us naturally by God. Welcome to the Freedom Matters Podcast. All right, Gary, we're back. Minus one again. Yeah, what What's always happening with this guy? I, I don't know. You know, we, we just we need a committed host. Yes, we need more commitment. Should we start doing like open casting calls or something? For I don't know, maybe Kevin might kill us if we did that. <laughs> we're we're just kidding, Kevin. Promise. And of course, you know Joe Rogan's always. We, that's true. Welcome. He can come sit in anytime he wants. <laughs> anytime. Yeah. You're stuck with me. <laughs> Speaking of the other who the, voice, who is that? There is another voice here today. By your doing again, Gary. So yeah, yeah, just. Uh, Friend, you know, fellow fellow patriot, freedom fighter here in the in the local area. Met, uh, gosh, I don't know, maybe somewhere around a year ago, I guess. Now, yeah, I was uh, at a bi- Bible study one morning. Yeah, yeah, you were talking about some stuff, and my ears perked up. I said, I, <laughs> "Oh, that's I right." I need to go to breakfast with oh, that guy. I forgot you were. That's right. That's yeah. where we first connected. Was at that Bible study. You got yes. it. You yes. got it. And um, of course, two men who love Jesus, but also love our country. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Jeremy, man, he's got a great story, and I'd love for him. He's going to share that here in a little bit. And uh, someone I really respect and has sort of garnered a little bit of a, of a following now, interviewing some really incredible people, putting out some uh, great news um, that you won't hear on the mainstream media. We definitely need more of that. So, I uh, look forward to hearing uh, more about that from Jeremy in a little bit. But um, tell people real quick where they can reach you, though. Yeah, so so it's Jeremy Sladen, but you can you can reach me on pretty much any platform. But the main place right now to follow me is on Rumble, and the channel is J Slay USA, which is short for J Slay Made in the USA. Mm, but uh, J Slay was my baseball nickname for years. All right, and uh, <laughs> just so, a letter J or J A Y. Great point. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people get it wrong. Uh-huh. Just the letter J. So J S L A Y. USA, go to go to Rumble and check out our latest stuff. Okay. Well, let, well, let's get into that real quick, though. So, yeah, because yeah. you mentioned uh, baseball. So, <laughs> you said go, baseball. Go, that, per- that perked my yeah, ears well, up. Yeah, I'm a baseball guy. Yeah, okay. Let's talk baseball. Well, Fine, don't, finally, don't, because you weren't, you weren't a foot, you weren't a basketball you, guy. Man, You're pe- not a hockey guy. You know. People just are like, he doesn't do sports. I do sports. I just do one really well, baseball. You know, that was always me, too, but it was playing, not so much watching. <laughs> so well, if, I if did you the playing thing for a little while, but I, probably not as good as you. So now it's just a watching thing. Yeah, no, I hear you. When it comes to people that say what you just said, though, about, oh, let's talk baseball. Yeah. I, I hope it's baseball in general. It's about baseball the game. in general. Because if it's like, well, who, who got traded for who? I, the Cubs I don't have year? the time to keep up with all that. Thank so. God you're saying yeah. that because I would not be able to keep up with you. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I played uh, played at Georgia Tech for four years and then with the Phillies for seven. Okay. Um, got to AAA and then uh, some crazy things happened and I'm having to walk away from the game uh. with no money and injuries and trying to figure it all out. <laughs> Man. So, uh, baseball. Yeah. Well, God, that was a great story. What uh, what position did you play? I was an outfielder. You're an outfielder. Yeah, okay. corner outfield, right or left. Nice. Okay. 
Cool. Did you, could are you one of the were you one of those outfielders that could like gun somebody down at home plate? Before my two shoulder surgeries, I was. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'll, I always watch those guys on. Well, that's that's a pretty amazing. Game. Give me give me give me a craziest triple uh, uh, A baseball story, minor I'll, league baseball story. Gosh, the, the, that's tough. I'll, I'll give you one that that actually happened. I mentioned it was crazy right there at the end uh-huh. of my career. So I get called up to big league spring training. You know, I'd oh, spent cool. six years in minor league spring training, working my way up, you know, getting better and better. But I was getting toward the end of my window, right? You've all, when you're 26, 27, you're kind of either on your way out or you better make it, right? Yep. So I get called to a big league camp. I'm really excited. This was, th- this was 2009 spring training. So the Phillies had won the World Series the year before. Wow. Nice. Which actually, that sounds nice, but for a minor league guy That's trying to make his way up. Well, it's intimidating, but also that means the Philly, Major League Baseball awards millions of dollars. A lot, a lot of people don't know this. They give the winning team of the World Series, I think back then, I believe it was $30 million to go spend on free agent. It's kind Did of like, here's your, like you get a trophy and you get a monetary award, right? Wow. So if you're a minor leaguer on the cusp of making it, and I wasn't like a big money guy, I signed for $100,000, but that's not millions of dollars, right. right? So they had a vested interest in me and they'd seen me, my progress. Um, but anyway, with, with the Phillies winning the World Series, they went out and bought a bunch of high-priced talent just to put on the bench. Uh, so here I was, you know, a guy playing, he was coming off the bench, but there were guys in front of me on the bench that I had baseball cards of that had, <laughs> that had big names, you know, so it was kind of tough. But uh, the crazy part of it was when I got called up, I was coming off the bench. So I would get about one at bat a game. Well, every time they'd call me in, I'd hit a single or a double or a home run. It just kept happening. Mm-hmm. So we get like a week and a half into spring training, and I'm leading the Phillies in RBIs, home runs, and batting <laughs> average. And it's like, what's going on here? And I've got, you know, Ryan Howard, who was the big, you know, yep. uh, what do you call it? The big, the big name with yep. the Phillies at the time. I think he was actually the MVP of the Phillies that year. Mm. And he was like, you know, he was the one that gave me the name Jay Slay. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> He's like, DJ K Slay is always what he'd say, but then. <laughs> Jay Slay stuck. Uh, but anyway, he, he, him and others were like, dude, you are about to make a lot of money in this game. Well, Charlie Manuel, the manager, Slayton, grab a bat, calls me off the bench again. We got bases loaded. I hit a grand slam. Come on. I'm rounding the bases, and I'm like, all my dreams are about to come true. You mm-hmm. know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the team. Mm-hmm. I get to second base, and I lose all feeling in my right leg. So I, I basically have to hobble to home plate. They take me off the field. I go lay on a training table, and they send me back to the minors, and that was the beginning of the end. So what happened? It, I had uh, severely herniated. A, what I think is, I believe there was a disc that already had problems, but it had not yet touched the nerve. Oh. And when they did the MRI, they said, dude, your L5-S1 like disc yeah. is like a 90-year-old man's. So they went in and had to remove the entire disc, and they put in an artificial disc. So right now, I had a disc replacement surgery. I've got, a, I've got basically a rubber disc in between my vertebrae. Wow. So kind of a sad story there, but it was just this crazy moment where it went from like, the happiest moment in my pro career easily yeah. to this is over. <laughs> like, wow. Just nuts. Right. How, how many people would speculate that a grand slam is the beginning of the end of your right. career? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Especially when you're, when you didn't do it on the swing, you're rounding the bases. I mean, it just was like, it, yeah. you know, it was a reminder though, that, that all of life, no matter how high you go, it's mere dust. I mean, it can be removed in a moment. Yeah. So it was just a great reminder that, hey, anything we think is ours is really just lent to us. It's a great reminder, it's but a tough reminder. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I, I could hijack the whole show with baseball <laughs> feet. So it's moving good. on. At least I have something to offer. You know, <laughs> this other stuff, I don't know. It's real life, though, man. It's real life. And I, I tell you what, real life, like a lot of, uh, I was on on the drive here, I was really thinking about, because my, my feed 
as I'm working and I've got things popping up on my computer are just full of all of these images, you know, coming out of the Ukraine. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I say the words real life, even I'm thinking about how real those things feel to me now. One of the things I was mentioning when we walked into the studio, Jeremy and I were talking a little bit, which I think he's got some interesting points to share. But for me personally, I don't know how this is impacting anyone else. You know, these images that we're seeing coming out of Ukraine, they're, they're, they're heart-wrenching, right? They're heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's always been the case, seeing war images. But, you know, growing up, seeing those images, it's like you recognize that you see them from afar. And the feeling internally is that, well, you know, we live in America. That could never happen here. Right. So, there, so easily there is a disconnect mm -hmm. emotionally between what you're seeing and really feeling any sort of empathy. Mm -hmm. um, this is different for me. I, I also think that the location of where this is happening makes a big difference. Like yeah. me growing up, I mean, we're relatively close in age. Yeah. So growing up, the only war that we've experienced watching yeah. has been Middle Eastern war, right? which feels like it's three worlds away. But this war is happening like, I mean, you're on the border of like Poland, yeah. basically. And that... Yeah. When you start putting it into the Europe, the European perspective, I think that changes things too because you're like that feels a lot closer to home. That's that's a good that's a good point. Do you think there's an aspect of it as well with a lot of this is cell phone video from civilians? That's true. It, whereas in the past with like you know Desert Storm or different things mm -hmm. in the areas you were talking about, you've got you know it's big broadcast. You see like missiles flying over, yep. but it's not so much shaky video of moms and dads that are like trying yeah. to get to safety. Carrying children, yeah. so it's personal. Yeah, I get yeah. that. It's yeah. personal, but I, but I think too. The other part of it, I was trying to consider why, and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe that is a, a big part of it is the the personal, the personal touch to the videography and whatnot. But, but I also think, for me, think about post COVID, or think about all the things that have happened in our country just in the last ten years. I mean, obviously, you know, about twenty years ago now, you've got nine eleven. That 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 certainly did something to the American psyche. But mm -hmm. even more recently now, with the riots and things that have been happening here in America, you know, cities on fire, all, all the things that we've did. Shockingly, we seem to have just become accustomed to now. That that's, These are just things that happen in America. Yeah, yeah fiery but peaceful. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's <laughs> right. peaceful no, protests. No big deal. I, I think, uh, not not to mention the, the deception that we've seen in our government from everything we, we've experienced to the response to COVID. The, the, I'm watching these images and there's a, there's a thing in me saying, you know what, that could happen here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually able to put myself in their shoes and and realistically feel like this could be me mm -hmm. next month. Mm -hmm. God knows what's going to happen. I saw an image of a dad. It was a video putting his family on a train to get them out of town. And he's hugging and kissing them. And he's 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 weeping and he's kissing his little girl by for what seems to be most likely the last time mm -hmm. he's sending his family on a train out of town and he's he's going to go suit up and go fight mm -hmm. you know I, I is what i interpreted what was happening and uh i just kind of pictured what would i what would man what would that moment be like for me as i'm kissing my family i know that i'm having to go fight for my homeland against the yeah the russians or whatnot but that that those were just some emotions that i was having today as i'm watching through these videos and then i started having this conversation with jeremy and he started to rock my world a little bit and i'm like oh man this is everything changes so well yeah i want to be very cautious about how i insert myself into this very heartfelt 
conversation and these images are real, you know? Yeah. So my heart and my prayers go to those p- people and those civilians. And, and, you know, I am no expert on geopolitics. I couldn't name you anybody other than, you know, the, the presidents and the prime ministers of those two nations. Right. <laughs> so, so definitely you can discount my opinions on what's going on, but I do know that a lot of times these major global events are very layered and, I think the media and our politicians take advantage of that because they know, okay, the people are fearful right now. So we can we can spin whatever way we want to spin this and they're going to buy it. So you're you're gonna see right now, and I and I know I'm a victim of it as well, uh, or guilty of it, where we've said fake news. We know it's fake news. They have lied and deceived to us over and over and over. I mean, from well before the whole Russian collusion thing. For, I mean, Russia was in the news for three years, right? Yeah. And it was, it was a big nothing burger and it was done on purpose. Well, now people who knew that are going to those same news sources and saying, you know, I believe this. I believe this because I'm seeing the images and I'm listening to somebody make sense of this for me. Uh, we saw it with, I think, JFK. We saw it with 9-11. We saw it big time with COVID. We saw it with George Floyd and all that stuff. It's like, here's the narrative you have to believe because you're scared as a people. Right. Um, and I'll give you one breadcrumb, and this is the one that I showed you. There was there was someone that did some some research on this, and they found, okay, where, where are the— um, What's the what's the word for the factories? The bioweapons. Yeah, factories. the bioweapons factories that the U.S. owns in Ukraine, and are there any? Right. Well, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, and you can drop pins on where they are. And then you look and you say, okay, where is Putin actually dropping bombs? And you overlay those two maps. Same cities, same locations. So I'm not saying Putin's a good guy, but I am saying that America and our politicians have a lot of stake in Ukraine that has nothing to do with protecting the Ukrainian people. It has to do with a lot of, uh, you know, deep state cabal money kind of stuff. And we've we've had to fight against a bioweapon scenario for two years now, right? Mm, yeah. Well, if that's where a lot of those bioweapons are being produced, I can understand why anyone may want to take those things out. So I'll kind of leave it there, but I'm definitely not uh, disrespecting the dead or or taking a side in saying that. I just think we need to step back, take a breath, feel our fear, and be willing to think through these things a little longer before we just form our opinion on where we're going to stand. But before we just, you know, that, and that's, uh, even as you're, as we're having this conversation again, I'm really... I'm having to challenge myself to think beyond the narrative I'm being fed. You yeah. know, is there more to the reasoning that Russians are dropping bombs on these strategic targets in Ukraine than just the fact that they're the big bad Russians and want to take over Ukraine? Like, mm-hmm. is is there more happening there that's not that we're not getting fed? You know, from our government and our media. For, for example, the fact that well, I, I I would have had no idea that the United States has bioweapons factories in the Ukraine. Good. I was I was worried that I was the only one and, at the and, table that didn't know that. <laughs> and if, and hey, if, before two days ago, me too. So yeah. And if that indeed is the case, and if that that indeed matches up with where these bombs are dropping. Well, isn't that quite interesting now? And doesn't that make me think a little bit harder about what Putin is doing? Not not to mention the fact, let's not forget that when we were dealing with the whole Russia collusion and everything that was coming out about Hunter Biden during the uh, uh, presidential campaign, all of those facts and the money that was being pushed back and forth between these uh, energy companies that uh, Hunter sat on the board of again, all tied into the Ukraine. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, clear. I think I think the point that we're saying here is is not to get into massive geopolitical conspiracy theories, but the fact is, if we've learned anything from COVID, 
we have to slow down and we have to understand that there are more things that possibly aren't true than just what our medical experts are feeding us, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's like a lot, a lot of us have, I think, have been able to finally come out of our slumber and wake up to the fact that perhaps the CDC and the WHO and Anthony Fauci and the NAID, whatever, are not telling us the whole truth about COVID. Well, if that's the case, Perhaps could we extrapolate that truth into everything else? That's right. Is it possible that they're not telling us the whole truth about Ukraine? I would say emphatically yes. So yeah, I absolutely. Think it is important to have this discussion and, re- and again, recognize that, yes, the bombs are real. Uh, people are dying. That's real. Uh, pe- innocent people are dying. That's real. The, the question is um, why? Yeah. And there's a difference, too, when the media is really pushing um, what's going on, like they are with this one. You know, the mainstream media is all on board on they want to generate that emotion and show you those images. We've been in lots of wars where they didn't want to show you those images. There's been lots of babies crying and dads, Mm -hmm. you know, running away with their children and things like that happening that we never got to see because the media didn't want to show it to us. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, more than ever, we have more problems at home. I'm not saying that we need to completely pull out and not being involved. Um, I'm protecting myself here, yeah. but, but at the same, <laughs> I'm not saying, yeah, <laughs> but I'm saying, yeah, but uh, you know, we got, we got a wide open Southern border. We've got all, just all these issues. I could go down the line, um, and, and to get like heavily involved in that now, especially with our woke military, you know, they've, they've completely tried to sexualize and feminize it. That's another reason I'm afraid of that happening here because I, I don't trust our leadership. And I really probably have less faith in our military right now than I ever have. Mm. Mm. Hate to say that, but boy, that's the truth. So that's there's the truth. so as far as I'm concerned, there's two narratives being fed on the heartstring level. And I don't know which one to go with. And I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's one side that's saying it's it's Russia, it's Ukraine. Like they've been at this verbally with each other for a long time now. Ukrainians are like whatever. They don't really care who their dictator is. They've always lived under an, an a corrupt government. So it doesn't really matter to them which one it is, whether it's Ukrainian corruption or Russian corruption. And then there's the other side of it that says, no, cor- Ukrainians are a proud nation. They're going to fight for everything that they can. They're going to protect their country. Yeah. Dem- Dem- like, democratic stronghold, you know, in the area. And it's whatnot. completely different depending on what channel you're watching. Yeah. What, what narrative is being fed. And I don't, I don't, I've never been on the ground in Ukraine, so I don't know which one it is, but... Yeah. And there can be a lot more, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other either. I mean, both things can happen at the same That's time. That's true. You know, the, I think uh, I really respect Steve Bannon and his war room and the stuff they talk about on there. He's as probably as knowledgeable about geopolitics as anybody in media. But he's saying out loud over and over on his show, there's th- this is so intricate. There's so much depth to what is going on. He's like, I have no idea how this is going to play out. I can tell you different scenarios, but I really don't know. And anybody that comes on and says, here's what's going to happen or here's why somebody's doing this, they don't know either. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those times where it's, it's, it's so layered, it's pretty confusing. Yep. Hey, so kind of pivot a little bit. I, before um, we close towards the end of the uh, episode, I do want to get into a, a couple things here legislatively in Tennessee. But uh, I do want to give uh, just a little bit of opportunity to talk about what you do and, and what you've been doing, some opportunities that have come your way recently. And again, man, just so so impressed from when we first met. I know, I mean, recently you, you full on left your job, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and just started digging in 
Kind of like, I mean, I, I feel the same way when I started Tennessee Sands. It was just one of those things like, I'm, well, I'm not sure this is going to work out, sure, but I have to do this yes. and I have to do it now. And I feel like you made that same kind of a shift yes. and I have mad respect for that. Well, thank so, you. So just just tell us a little bit about um, what, what you've done and some opportunities that the Lord is bringing your way and yeah. where you feel that's taking you. So maybe for the first time, I can actually give a brief summary of what led me to the decision without it becoming a long one. So I'm going to make this really brief. I've always been attracted to truth. And of course, we all love freedom in America. America, right? Mm. So being attracted to truth uh, has driven me, whether it's truth about what's the best baseball swing or, or what's the age of the earth. You know, I know that. Yeah. So I've always been willing to do the digging and study. And, and I kind of noticed as I was growing up, hey, a lot of people don't do this. A lot of people don't actually pull back the layers and dig and, and look at different perspectives. A lot but, of people don't question. They don't question and they, they just find themselves busy with regular life mm -hmm. stuff. It's like, why would I care about, mm -hmm. you know, when the dinosaurs existed or right. something like yeah. that? I always use that example because I think as all kids, we go through that phase of, is this real? You know, <laughs> all that. Yeah. But um, anyhow, so, you know, as I went into my baseball career, there were a few key moments. One was... There was, a, there was just a moment in the locker room where there was some cultural training going on. And they had these guys get all the big league Phillies guys in the middle of the locker room. And they said, if you're at a party and everybody's having some drinks, enjoying themselves, you happen to go to the bathroom and you look, you look in a, a, a door uh, to a bedroom and there's a woman in there who's about to be attacked. It's not got violent yet, but you've got a, a man in front of her and it's looking really badly. Do you keep walking to the bathroom or do you go insert yourself into the situation to try to, you know, remediate things, mitigate whatever could happen? And they said, if you would walk away and, and just keep going and ignore it, go to that side of the room. And if you would do something about it, go to that side of the room. Well, I expected almost every 230-pound Phillies player, you know, almost all of them are bigger than me, to go to the side of I would help the damsel in distress. You know, right. I, would do, I would do the right thing. And only four of us went to that side. Oh, wow. Yeah. The other, the other, you know, 45, because in spring training, you got more than 40 players there. Right. Uh, the other 45 went to that side. And they asked the guys, the, the 45 guys, they said, why would you ignore, you know, the, the, the girl that's, that's in trouble? And they said, because it's not our business. And that was the first time that I saw the, these are, this is what it looks like when you've risen Man. to a level of money and fame, because most of those guys had big money and big fame, and you'll do anything to protect it because mm -hmm. they didn't want to be in the media. Mm -hmm. They were told to avoid confrontation out yep. in the world. That's what it came down to. Mm -hmm. It's like the rich young ruler. Jesus said, you know, you need to give it all up and follow me. Well, he wasn't willing to give it all up. Mm -hmm. And those guys in that situation wouldn't be willing to potentially give up something or look bad in the news. Who knows? And by the way, the same reason that so many people continue to comply with all this nonsense. That's that where this is going. With, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's where this I mean, is going. I mean, I, I personally, that's where I was for a little while. You know, I didn't want my neighbors to hate me. I didn't want I didn't want to ruff, ruffle feathers. Yeah. yeah. And the way that plays out with a lot of conservatives and Christians who who know truth is they begin to whisper about truth. If they got to say something they really feel in the coffee shop, they whisper it, yeah. right? It's that mind control, that speech control. And so I saw that in sports. Then I got into the business world and the same thing I kind of started seeing is like, you know, the you got a lot of good good men, but it seemed like the higher they go in a corporation, the less they're willing to say or the, the less they're willing to follow the courage or the convictions. Mm. That always bothered me. Now, I'm not going to get off on this today, but I went through a personal uh, time of deception where I was deceived. I got addicted to things. Um, it, it was bad. It was dark. And I had to, what I had to do was I had to stop numbing out with alcohol and Adderall mm -hmm. and other things. And I had 
to feel the pain. I had to get really honest about what it was that I was doing. I had to get honest with other people, and I had to do the hard work of coming out of the hole. And it takes some time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen in a day. As I came out of that, then the truth culturally came back into view, especially around 2020 with, you know, COVID and all that. And I, and I just saw so many people immediately follow the mainstream narrative and not question it. But me coming out of deception, I was more, I think, in tune to uh, not just follow along. And I began to do the rabbit, the rabbit holes and do my research and do the deep dive. And I, the, the deeper I went, the more it became obvious that we were a people under mass formation psychosis, kind of mm. like uh, Dr. Robert yep. Malone recently yep. said. Mm -hmm. And God began to impress on my heart, Jeremy, you've always been attracted to truth. You've had to walk your own journey out of the, the depths of deception now. So you, you know how to do it personally. But if you want to bring this to the world, I'm going to ask you to step into the wilderness and follow me. So yeah, November 12th of 2021, last year, I decided to go full-time. So I'd kind of, you know, dip my toes in the water. I'd had people over to, to do interviews. I'd created some content on the side. I'd built up maybe seven, 8,000 followers. I was one of the first. You were, man. Thank you. It was a great interview. Uh, great in my mind, because you were there. I don't know how good I was. But yeah. I actually walked away thinking, this guy's a really, he's, this is a gr great interviewer. I felt, I've, I really felt like, I actually went back, i it popped up on something, and I went back and watched a piece of that segment that you and I did, and yeah. I actually thought, man, he, like, he, you did such a great job of pulling conversation out of me that I, I probably wouldn't have said certain things had you not had the skill set and the awareness to sort of take it there. And I thought, man, that, that's that's a that's a good interview. Yeah, that's a skill set. Well, thank you. you know? I, so I appreciate really that. That You know, a lot of locker rooms all over the country with a lot of people from all over the world yeah. will do that to you. You yep. kind of learn how to connect with people fairly quickly. So I think, you know, the Lord's provided maybe that, that skill. But yeah, I stepped into this full-time November 12th. And since then, I've been going hard at, at, you know, going to events, trying to really rub elbows with people who are further along than me in the journey, both in terms of knowledge, in terms of technology, people like yourself that, you know, you've got a podcast studio here. I'm looking around, seeing these microphones and seeing the setup. It's like, okay, I want to do this, this, mm -hmm. and this. So and being a husband and father as well, I'm really busy. I've got to step back a little bit from the content creation to put together the monetization legs because I've not done that. I've been living out of my bank account. Yep. Um, so I'm going to have to monetize here soon, but I really have enjoyed taking a step back from the business side for three to four months and just saying like, Lord, you've got this, you know, I've made some money in business that I'm able to live off of and provide for my family. It can't last forever, but I'm trusting you. And man, life is way more of an adventure right now yeah, than it was selling, you know, big money roof projects to the government. I mean, that stuff sounds glamorous, you know, to go, to go sell a big roof to Williamson County government. It's fun. You make some money, but I was going to die in that job. Mm -hmm. You know, as much as I maybe enjoyed making the sale, it really wasn't where God was pulling me. So much like you, Gary, I, I had to, I was, yeah. I was, I yep. was compelled. Yeah. And that's, that's and that's a feeling you can't, you can't put away. I, I wanted to inter, in, not interject, but you said earlier we were talking about having to be obedient to what God's calling us to do and this feeling of not complying. And it was really the story you were telling me about, you know, go to this side of the room and that side of the room. And most people just sort of chose to to protect their own. That, yeah, that's where I was going. Most people that we've watched in the response, they choose to protect their own interests. They, mm -hmm. they won't stand because, well, there's too much to lose. There's, mm -hmm. there's too much to risk, you know, and of course, I've said, and many others have said, look, if you don't start taking some risks right now, 
you're not going to have anything to take risks for later. Mm -hmm. Like this is all going to go away at some point. But one of the things that keeps us going at Tennessee Sands, and I posted this, I think, yesterday. We, we received this via email. We've gotten a few stories like this, but this one just, you know, the way it was worded, I guess, just hit me. And I just want to read this because if if some folks are wondering why Tennessee Stands exists and why we do what we do, it's, this, this is why. I just wanted to say thank you to Tennessee Stands. I'm a strong woman, but because of your organization, I am a stronger and smarter woman. I am one that was fired when the whole OSHA thing started. Because you have educated me on my rights and the laws of Tennessee, I was able to stand up for my rights and not bow down to the corporation I worked for. I just wanted you to know that I've finally found a lawyer, and I'll be moving forward to hopefully hold my previous employer accountable for their actions. Mm. Your organization is doing great things, so please never, ever change Tara. And it's uh, great. That's fantastic. Man, you yeah. know, I'm like, boy, if I was thinking about quitting, like, I'm not anymore. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> and that's the whole – when you watch individuals stand up and then people gather around them and they stand up. And this whole idea that courage is contagious. I mean, the, 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 the big point to make is if we all did what Tara did, all of this would be over. That's right. Yeah. Right. It would all be over. Yeah. And that's that's going to come about through telling the truth, through informing people like we're doing, through like doing what you're doing, Jeremy, um, through your efforts. I mean, the more we can get people to think a little bit harder about the stories they're being fed, the way it impacts their lives and everything that's at, that's at risk for them if we're not willing to take action now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one key component is educating people into who, if you really go up the ladder of your corporation or our government to the very top, well, the top isn't actually Joe Biden. Mm -mm. There, there are puppet handlers and people don't realize this. And they think, they still think, even after all that we've been through, that, well, our leaders at the end of the day are for us. They want what's best for us. But if you go up to the top, whether it's in China or whether it's the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab, I mean, they're openly saying things now out loud that if the common person knew this is actually who Joe Biden and the administration and Justin Trudeau, this is where they're, they're getting their marching orders yeah. is from the World Economic Forum. Um, and people like Glenn Beck have been great about putting that news out there for a while. For years. For years. Yeah. So it's out there and it's available, but people have to take the time to say, wait, wait, wait. I am sick and tired of being lied to. It's time to do my own research. Mm -hmm. You know, that's got to happen. Right now, Klaus, Klaus Schwab has a mentor. He's got a Yoda. His name is like, uh, it starts with a Y. He wrote this book called uh, Sapiens recently. It was like a New York Times bestseller. Anyway, this guy is saying, we are past the time of, of thinking ourselves as human people with free souls. No, no, no. That, that time is over. That's the way he said it. That, that time is over. We are now hackable animals. He says we're hackable animals. He's saying this from the stage with Biden and DiCaprio and other, you know, far left people in attendance thinking, man, how beautiful is that? Now we can hack everybody. And, you know, I think the common person hears that and is like, well, that's not real. No, it is real. Joe Biden is sitting there. They do, between DARPA and other government institutions and foreign institutions, they do have some of the most unbelievable technology, things Bill Gates is working on with the World ID. And I, I don't want to go too crazy Ooh, here. Where are we about to go uh -huh. here, John? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Where, where they are going to be able, if you get hooked up to their machinery, to read your thoughts as you're thinking them and say them back to you. 
That, that, that there's been military officials talk about this who work with DARPA. So anyway, when he when that guy that Yuval Novak or something like that, when he says that we are, we will be hackable animals, you're not going to be able to have thoughts that are your own. Well, they're going to do that through putting things in your body. I promise you that's coming. That it's it's real. That's all I can say is that stuff is real and it's it's around the corner unless people say no, we're not going to comply with that. And so far, the 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 jury's out for whether people are going to, you know, keep going down this train. Yeah. You know, you watch some of these um movies, right, that have been we've been watching for years. It do you ever feel like Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The answer to that question is yes. Yes. And that includes the, the movie Splice. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know that was real. Yeah. And I thought it was just a movie. Yeah. You know? I feel like that a lot, man. Around the time of like George Floyd and all that craziness on top of COVID, I woke up every day and it was like, there, there is such a cloud of deception, not only over like the big cities of America, but over America, over the globe. And I could just like feel it. Mm -hmm. it again, it was another, re I think certain people feel those things more, mm -hmm. maybe a spiritual gifting. I, I don't know. But I noticed certain people are like, something's not right. And it's well, it, I, it's in the air. That's a discernment thing. Well, and what's the, and look, what's the root of all this, right? When you, when someone says we're, we're soulless, soulless, hackable beings. Animals. I mean, yeah. yeah. What, what are you doing at that point? Well, what, what you're doing is you're taking God out of the picture. You yeah, know, and the, becoming God, they, because they still right. want there to be someone in control, and it's them. That's right. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And so I, I hope that finally um, people are seeing what's what's really going on. This this is the ultimate battle of good and evil. By the way, looks different from terms of uh, technology and the way they're doing it, but understand that this is an age-old war that has been going on since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. It's just manifesting itself in different ways. And uh, But at the end of the day, they're working through all these agendas to turn us into a godless society. It's why you have to do the work of uh, destroying the nuclear family, which was Black Lives Matter's stated purpose on their website. Yep. Shock! Who who would have thought that Black Lives Matter's core per, core mission uh, is actually not about black people at all? It's about no. destroying the Western nuclear family. Uh, you have the LGBT agenda, you know, that that pushes again against the nuclear family. We we now exist in a society that is even unsure how to define a man and a woman. And the root of all of that is to create a godless society. Because once you've taken God out of the picture, who do people have left now to depend on? Well, the government. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you break people down beyond communities and families to individuals who are now dependent on who? The government. That's right. Um, so th th this is what we're doing here, and that's why we've got to uh, fight for families and fight for, for our values. And so one of those things, I, I wanted to talk about this piece of legislation because I just want to thank two people. Um, there's a, a mom here in Williamson County. I think she might live in Nashville now, but she's here in Middle, Middle Tennessee. Her name is Kristen Benton. And uh, she's been fighting a long time with her kids against mask mandates and, and all sorts of stuff. But she gave just such a, a brilliant testimony in this committee. So her and also John Rich from Big and Rich. I mean, man, his brother, <laughs> he's been calling some folks out. I love the guy. Yep. Uh, Patriot, really appreciate someone with his influence uh, coming out and uh, calling uh, uh, folks, including the governor, yeah. <laughs> to the carpet on uh, keeping. Look, a sim something so simple. 
keeping obscene materials that's right out of our public libraries and out of our school should that be hard to pull off in tennessee doesn't it seem like it's like last year john whenever we ran house bill 10 to secure religious exemptions to vaccines in the mm-hmm. bible belt mm-hmm. I, we thought walking into uh, committees that we were going to be heroes like mm-hmm. yeah well this is easy this is tennessee how hard could it possibly be to secure religious exemptions and we found out very quickly, very difficult. And same thing here. You know, we're still, we have to have uh, uh, parents like Kristen Benton putting all of these documents and proof together to, to sh- show these legislators what's going on. You got to have people like John Rich coming in, calling the governor out on his lackadaisical efforts to do anything. Why is it so hard in a supermajority, supposedly Republican General Assembly, to do things like secure religious liberties and keep porn out of public schools. Poor leadership. I mean, <laughs> come on. Or, or nefarious leadership. I mean, at the, or that. Yeah, uh, and a little, to your point, deeper than what just poor leadership is. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Layers deeper. I, I texted with Kristen right after that. She gave that little speech, and I asked her some questions. Uh, and by the way, she. It started with her going to a school board meeting and reading aloud some excerpts from the book, yep. and they muted. They it. muted her. They <laughs> muted her because it was so explicit, right? So uh, I can't read books that you've approved to be in the library, but I can't read my them kids. to you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's no. right. Uh, and then I said, I "No, said, because it's against the FCC guidelines to read something that filthy. We can't but do that. not for an eight-year-old. Not, read not for it. your kids. Yeah, though. that's right." And the other question, because I, I thought, you know what? If these are just library books that are sh- that are like really old. You know, shoved down and that nobody's ever. I said, "Are these new books or are these old books, Chris?" And she goes, "No, this is new. These are newer books." So that to me, that was a big deal. It's like cause, so somebody's putting this on the list of books to buy, like within the last five to ten years. Who? I don't know. You you tell me. I, well, I don't know. Either. I didn't dig that that much deeper. We're gonna get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Well, she on her uh, she website has. on she, her website yeah. she has all the books listed. So you could at least find out what those books are. And I think the next step would be finding out who approves a library curriculum, if you can call it curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I do have a question for you, though, Gary, on the the, the question of the governor. Because I think, like myself, I voted uh, for Bill Lee. I've not been impressed with his decision. And kind of like you said, lackadaisical attitude. You called him once to me on the phone. You said he's the do-nothing governor. Mm. <laughs> um, I want to ask you it's so obvious that just down there in Florida, you've got DeSantis. I'm not saying he's perfect, but I am saying he appears to be the model. He has the hearts and minds of the people behind him by making, it's not like he's making these really bold, crazy decisions. It's that the other side is so crazy. All he's doing is making common sense decisions. Right. Okay. Whereas normalcy. Yeah. And you know, he's gained so much popularity from doing that. Right. So you would think if you're a Republican governor, Right. who ran on American freedoms and local values and all that kind of stuff, you would just follow that model and say, well, I want to be popular too, right? What is drawing him to not? And I've, I've asked you about this before, but because there's a lot of people out there asking that question who have still think really highly of him, but what they say is they say this, why do so many people out there, you know, spit on Bill Lee? Why are they pushing back on him? He's a good guy. He's a Republican, you know, because they're not maybe aware of the things that he's not implemented or, or not approved? Well, it's like, you know, for example, um, he's been pushing against this medical freedom stuff, you know, quite vigorously for a long time. In fact, 
I'll pro- I won't reveal the name, but I'll, I'll talk more about this later once she's ready to release the information. But uh, oh, got- G- Gary, he was on he was on Sean Hannity saying that we're a free we're a free state. That, well, mean- he was on Sean Hannity saying we don't wear masks. In That's Tennessee. right. Yeah. You know, I'm like, so what are you the talking? Hell, we don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't have masks in our schools. What? Dad, whatever. I mean, come on. Yeah, that, that was what what turned the blinder off for me was when I saw where we were at in our schools, and then I watched that piece yeah. where he was one of like a panel of three other governor is supposed to be the freedom governor. Just right? flat out lying on national television. I, I was pretty shocked at that. It, that That's, I think, the biggest piece I can't figure out here in Tennessee with with, with the governor and other Republican leaders, you know, our, our leaders in the House and the Senate. I, To me, it, it feels like Tennessee should be the bastion of freedom. I mean, when the, the conservatives that I know and the people that the circles that I run in, not only people here from Tennessee, but even the folks moving here from California. I mean, these are look, these are freedom fighters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are not a lot of folks say don't California my Tennessee. I'm I'm just I'm gonna maybe say something very controversial here. I'm like, well, how do how do I say this? I'm not, I don't know what you're trying to say, but I'm, I'm ready for it. Well, I have said to, to the Californians that I've met that's coming to Tennessee, please bring some of that California <laughs> attitude to Tennessee because I, I look at— I look Because at, Tennesseans have—basically because Tennesseans have gotten too complacent. Yeah. And you've it, got Californians in, in, coming in here ready to fight. Coming in as refugees, yeah. and they're seeing what's going on with, with fresh eyes. Yeah. And they're like, guys, do you not see what you're doing? Wake up! You yeah. know, it's like Tennesseans— are, are almost the proverbial frog in the boiling water. Mm-hmm. Yes. They've been doing this to us for so long, you can't recognize it anymore because it your liberty has been taken away from you so slowly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's, it doesn't have that abruptness that would spur you to action. But people that are coming from places like California that have been struggling with the Newsoms and the Pelosi's and all this for so long, they, they spot those trends right away. And they, they can look at this and say, hey, this was... You know, this actually, this was California about 20 years ago. Yeah. What you're doing right yeah. now, I you're think, on the path. I think there's another component to that as well. They're also less afraid to speak out because they've not yet integrated themselves into Tennessee high society of conservatism. They're not going to lose all of their friends. Kinda, right? and, yeah. I, and I think the same with you, Gary. I think maybe you being from Texas and you started Tennessee Stands and all this, you didn't have a, a ton of relationships to lose. You know, and I think a lot of conservatives in Tennessee that grew up here, they've got all these relationships. Maybe they've got, you know, a lot of friends at Vanderbilt and this, that, and the other. Business relationships. Business relationships. They're just not willing to put those at risk to take a stance. You know Mm -hmm. what? That's a great point. Mm -hmm. I like that theory. But, but, but to that point though, in leadership, if I, if I'm like right now that, so this is the connect I can't make for the governor and other Republican leaders. Because if I'm one of those guys, I'm thinking, yeah, I want to, I want to get reelected. I want people to approve and appreciate what I'm doing. So I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the th- kind of things that DeSantis is doing, and I'm just dropping bombs, baby. I'm that's protecting right. freedom, you know, <laughs> with the I'm cheers like, of the people behind that's you, man. Right, and I am, I am emboldening the base. This is what people we're crying out here in Tennessee for medical freedom to clean up our our acts in our schools and for election integrity. Which seemingly, I'm just, I'm just telling you, we're having these conversations and people are reporting to me the 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 messages are getting back from our legislators we know that in fact i was at a meeting last night i was speaking to the gop uh group in humphreys county and we had a senator and a representative uh there senator Kerry roberts was there great guy I, I, I mean i appreciate some of the things that he does very smart very very smart uh educated and a fun guy to talk to by the way if you ever get a chance to talk to senator roberts but 
he he made his he made a great statement on election integrity. He said, you know, he said, I think a lot of people, in fact, he this makes a lot of sense. He said, the reason you'll you're gonna find that a lot of legislators are not wanting to deal with election integrity is because respectively, Tennessee is considered the best. Like when when you look around the nation and you rank the integrity, the, the freedom of elections or, or whatever, however you want to term that. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's like the best. He said, but so we don't want to do anything about it. We feel like, well, why should we fix it? But he said, but we're the best of what? Yeah. yeah. The, it's the kind best of like the, of lesser, the worst? Of evil, lesser of evils. Exactly. Or should we just be satisfied because someone says we're the, well, being better than California in terms of <laughs> may not be right. the best measure of success. So, you know, look, guys, we, we have gaping holes in our election process that if we don't fix here in Tennessee, that's not to say that that it's guaranteed that we've had massive fraud happen in the past in Tennessee. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. But it's absolutely a fact that if we keep going down the same road and all of the things that are happening around us geopolitically, all the things, you know, eyes are on Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Our system is volatile and it's uh, fraud as possible. And yeah, so and- why would you not do the work of ensuring that in order for that fraud to, to occur, just make it as hard as you possibly can, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I've gotten to know Captain Seth Keschel. He's come on my show. He's a friend of mine now. He's very involved nationally. Uh, are you guys familiar with who he is? Yeah. No, okay. I haven't heard of him. But... Okay. Well, he his claim to fame, and this is a true thing, he accurately predicted in 2016 every single state in the presidential election. He accurately predicted, and it came true, huh. uh, with, with, with Trump obviously winning. And then, so after 2020 and all the, you know, hubbub about that, they got him back involved, General Flynn and Sidney Powell. So he's kind of been the, the, the brainchild behind stuff that they present a lot of times. Uh, that being said, he's, he's looked at Tennessee. He said, here's the thing. Yes, it's been pretty good, but that's what the left relies on is you guys doing nothing because you're that, still a pretty exactly red state. Exactly right. Yeah. And he said, if you look, he's looked at every trend that's going to blow your mind of every single county in the U.S. over the last 20 years. So that is his life. It's his life's work. It's his homework. You can follow him on Telegram at uh, Seth Keschel. <laughs> you just look him up. I mean, he's got almost 200,000 people following his work, but... When he, military data analyst or something like that, Yes, right? yes, yeah. yes. He said, I went from putting warheads on foreheads out in <laughs> Afghanistan to coming here and, you know, trying, trying to get elections straightened out. Uh, but, yeah, so the guy, he knows his stuff. He's very sharp. Um, I don't even remember where I was going with this. But, oh, he, he just said, basically, it he, happens. He, he looked into Tennessee. He looked in Tennessee, and he said, you've got pockets that are actually pretty bad. But what happens is the fraud gets a little worse and a little worse. In terms of trends, whether it's the machines. It's the frog in the what, boiling water. Yes, honey. yes. And people do nothing. And then pretty soon, okay, now you're a purple state. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, most people are still voting red, but you believe. Yes. Because it's been this slow change of the trend. It's, well, it's all the Californians. That's right. Yeah, you the, know, the influx the, of those freedom-loving Californians. Yeah, it's their right? fault. Yeah. Well, it's even they they're even, tricking us. They yeah. even <laughs> said it during the whole like debacle of of this last election when people were trying to do recounts and all this stuff. I mean, there were even points in in that timeline where people were saying, "Well, yeah, there was fraud, but it wasn't very much." That's our like baseline now. Like that's right. Yeah, you it, can just keep moving that baseline because. Yep. Well, Thomas Jefferson had a great quote on this. He said, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. That's right. right. So if we're going to become unvigilant and not be watching anymore, well, we're going to lose our freedom. The the price of freedom, the effort to secure our elections, and all the way, these are all works of eternal vigilance. I mean, we can never sit 
sit down on any of this stuff, uh, even in terms of I, you know, I'm I'm thankful. <sighs> I don't know if I want to say this, but I'm I'm thankful for the outcome of what we experienced with COVID. Because people, I know I am personally. People are paying attention at a level that I never dreamed that that the TC Mitts, the yeah. common man on the streets, would ever really care that much about what's happening politically. Not only uh, in the White House, but people are now paying attention to local politics. They're mm-hmm. paying attention to their school boards and their county commissions and their city councils. And I, I really do think that if we can keep that trend going. If we can keep people focused on what's happening locally and in our own states, uh, we have a real shot at, at changing the trajectory of what's happening right now and securing liberty um, in our homes, which is what we need to do. So, True. Yeah, and I think we could see the the outcome of that as soon as November 2022. I, yeah. I've got a good feeling about what's going on. Yeah. Come on. Yep. John, that's it, huh? That's it. Are we done? We're done. <laughs> it was great to have uh, Jay Slade. I, I emptied USA. my brain, guys. I've got nothing this else. This is it. <laughs> All right. We're the, we hit the end. I'm just going to go sit quietly at home for a few hours <laughs> try to learn something new. Hey, uh, again, um, where where can people find you? Find me at jayslayusa.com. That's the hub. But if you want to see my latest content, like I'm just dropping an uh, interview this afternoon on Rumble with uh, Pastor Steve Berger. I'm really excited about this one. But follow me on Rumble and go go to my website, sign up for my newsletter. Pastor awesome. Steve Berger, we all, we're all in... We we all know yeah, Steve same in a, circles. In a, in a he circle can, he or two. He can sit right there. Yeah. He there has sat right there. Okay. Um, he actually said something when, when he was sitting in here last time that he I thought of while you were telling your story, and it was, uh, in this world, we need less males and more men. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Like I that. was like, man, that's a good line. That's a good catchphrase. Yeah. Anyway. Thanks. I think we already gave our open invitation to Joe, right? We did. Okay. We did that already. That's there. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Bill Lee? I think Bill Lee could come in and answer some hard questions. That is a that is an open that, invitation we could give. Uh, I like that. That would. I, I'm open. I don't know how open he is. You throw, I'm open. You throwing out the gauntlet? Yeah, wait, hey, let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I think he knows about you, Gary. Oh, I'm, I'm quite oh, certain. Oh, I'm sure he does. <laughs> I'm quite sure certain. he does. Well, Jeremy, thanks for coming by. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.